Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, folks and people. My name is Anthony Taylor. This is the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. We interview amazing people from all over the world to get their insights on strategy, leadership, and all the great things that happen in the world of work. And today, my guest is Anissa Dashpandi. Anissa, how are you today? I'm doing well, Anthony. How are you? I'm awesome. I'm excited to chat with you. I was admiring your background. I'm admiring your body of work, and I'm super excited to to get to chat. Um, so, for all of our listeners, Anissa is the founder and principal of Log Lab, and she is the author of The Comeback, a modern HR novel. Did I get everything, Anissa? Anything I missed? Yeah, I think you got it. Should we just wrap up and call it a day? That's it. All right. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate (laughs) you being here. Um, No, let's actually, let's chat a bit more. How about that? Okay. Sounds great. Cool. So tell me about who you are, existentially or not. And if you want to include your body of work, that'd be great too. Okay. So Anissa Desponde, as you mentioned, I have 25 years of experience in HR, IT, finance, and strategy. Um, about seven years ago, I started my own people advisory services firm called Log Lab, and we help companies modernize HR to create a place where people love to le- work and to grow revenue. So it's both the business side as well as the people side. So we do that in a couple different ways. We offer fractional chief people officer services to emerging growth companies. We offer coaching to high potential HR folks or people that are trying to make that transition from more of a traditional HR mindset to a modern HR mindset. And then we do content. So you mentioned the book already. I've got some online video courses, templates that you can purchase, just things that help companies accelerate their transition into modern HR. Prior to starting my own firm, I was the global talent executive at a Fortune 500. Part of my responsibilities were running the team that hired uh, 20,000 people annually in 150 countries, but also designing internal talent initiatives like performance management succession that were aligned to achieve business outcomes. So really focusing on connecting those people programs and what we were trying to do as a business. Cool. So I'm sure you got a lot of experience from 20,000 people annually. Um, But one of the things I wanted to ask you about is, you know, accelerating into modern HR. So some people who've, you know, maybe they are new and all they know is modern HR, but maybe to understand where that shift is coming from, maybe we can start at the start where from your perspective, let's call it old HR to new HR. What are the kind of key things that people need to realize? And maybe they're still stuck in old HR and they need to be aware of what they're missing out on. Yeah. So I call old HR, um, traditional HR and traditional HR is primarily based on compliance, right? Keeping the company out of trouble. The number one focus is compliance. It tends to really just focus on, Hey, let's make sure we don't get sued. Let's check the box. Let's make sure that we are doing all the things that we need to from a compliance standpoint. And it designs its programs and its services around compliance versus a a defined employee experience. 
So the challenge with traditional HR is you often develop a reputation as a cost center. So you're a continual target for efficiency gains and cost reductions. And one of the biggest litmus tests for me when an when a HR leader says, every year they ask me to cut 10% of my budget, I know that they're practicing traditional HR versus modern HR. So modern HR is what I like to call a revenue enabler. And it really focuses on four dimensions, the culture of a company, the organization, people, and rewards. And it takes those four dimensions and it really tries to align it to what the business is trying to achieve from a strategy and goals perspective. And by focusing on things that that achieve business goals, the function actually becomes a revenue enabler. It attracts investment because people, the leadership wants to invest in it because they see the benefit in, in their organization from the people side of the business. And so things that you see in modern HR is a very unique and defined employee experience, a lot of data-driven decisions, right? They're using data versus I think in traditional HR, we tend to see more anecdotes, a focus on amplifying the strengths of the culture, but also a continuous focus on what do we need to improve in the culture and how do we, every, every culture has dysfunctions, but what are some of the things that we need to overcome to help us get to that next level? Oh, I, I mean, I love that. I think it's when we first started talking, it just made me think of like Toby Flenderson, if anybody knows who, who that is. But uh, but what I really liked out of that was moving away from compliance and, and into so culture, organization, people and rewards and making sure that it's driving business outcomes. Um, so it takes it from costing money to making you money. And I think in this uh, landscape where more and more people are embracing that, it's, it's going to be table stakes soon. You still need right. to do the compliance piece, but when you're competing for talent on a global level or even in a regional level, the ones who adapt that modern HR faster are going to be the ones that accomplish their business goals faster and presumably with less pain. Would you say that that's fair to say? That's absolutely true. And look, don't get me wrong. Compliance is super important. I'm not saying we shouldn't have compliance in our skill sets and our ability to get things done. But a lot of compliance, like if you're doing the right things from a culture and an organization and a people and a rewards perspective, a lot of times the compliance follows, right? Because compliance is designed to create fairness and consistency in the workplace. That's really what the focus is, right? So when, you, when you're doing the right things, then a lot of times that compliance just follows along. Mm. So uh, one of the things that comes up a lot with with organizations and when there's a lack of clarity or alignment or direction is people want to know about like roles and responsibilities, like well, like who, who is doing what, especially in, in fast moving companies. So how do you see the role of HR, the role of a fast growing company and strategy all combining for, for successful growth as it relates to roles and responsibilities? Okay. Wow. That's a, that's a loaded question. <laughs> well, I think the first thing is in order to, to have an effective HR agenda or strategy, you need to understand the business and where it's trying to go. So the business strategy in depth, right? And so just first, I, I advise any HR leader to sit with the leadership team to get a lay of the land, to do the research and to understand the research that's driving uh, where the company's trying to go, and then to figure out the people aspects of it, right? So 
what are the implications of what we're trying to do? So for example, if we're trying to enter a new market or we're trying to launch a new service or product, what kind of people do we need? How are we going to get them? What kind of local available talent is available if we're if it's a new market? You know, do we have to import people? How are they going to learn our culture, right? So there's all kinds of strategic implications when you're building a strategy. And often what companies do is they build the strategy and then they think about the people, right? Like I want to grow 10 times in revenue, but do we even have the people available to us or in the external market to be able to do that, right? And that's where you see a lot of this competition for talent coming in. So in terms of roles and responsibilities, you know, I think HR has to help define where people's roles start and where really the functions, where the functions start and where they stop, right? Like who has responsibility for what? I see HR contributing very strongly to the strategy and not being on the receiving end of it. But when you're having those those strategic planning workshops or those strategic planning discussions, contributing at the level of the other participants, really bringing in the business discussion, but talking about the people implications of it, right? So that's a little bit of how I see the roles and responsibilities working. I don't know if that answered your question. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, you can't just say, Hey, here's where we're going and then have HR say, okay, now do it. It both needs to be, uh, well, I heard co-created like worked on together, uh, but also managing expectations and, and resources. You know, we kind of make a, a tongue in cheek joke, say, Hey, do you have unlimited time, people or money? You know, right. is that if you can't, you don't have those. So you need to make strategic choices about where you want to go, who you're going to deploy to do that and how to make it work. And I also found that like for the HR and the strategy to say, Hey, who's doing this part, who's doing this part, who's doing this part is critical as part of the implementation as a consideration for the implementation, not just, Hey, here's our plan. Go do it. That's what I heard. That's exactly right. And a lot of times what HR's role is when they're on the back end of strategy. So let's say finance and strategy have planned you know, this beautiful strategy of where they want to go. A lot of times HR has to be the one that says, wait, you didn't consider the people component. And when we look at the availability of talent and skill sets internally and externally, you know, that's a limiter to our ability to achieve the strategy. So you end up changing the strategy to meet where you are to your point about unlimited time, resources, and money. Yeah. And not only from a skills perspective, like not only a culture perspective, but also the skills and then adapting, filling your needs for your future, filling your skills for your future needs and not just your current needs. That's right. So if we look, well, I'll ask you about the future, but looking back over your career, you've been doing this a long time. What are some, I, I dare, I don't like the word war stories, but what are some, you know, key lessons that you've taken away in your, you know, in your time in HR, working for big companies, you don't need to give any, anybody's name away. But what was one of those things you're like, whoa, like you sat down at the end of the day and say, I really learned something today out of blank experience. Yeah. I mean, so many, right? Like, I think a lot of my early HR experiences, and remember, I came in from other functions and so had been a consumer of HR and then had to go in and, and figure out how to work in HR, which are two very different roles. But I think the one thing that continued to hit... There were, there were two things I will I will hit on. One is the lack of data and structure in HR is really a concern. And it's something that I noticed early on, right? Like every month finance comes out with a flash report or a management report, which compiles all these insights about what's happening in the business. 
in HR, which really owns the people function, wasn't providing the same insights and data. And I think as a result of that, right, finance gets this great seat at the table. Everything is, you know, they get the resources they need. They get everything they need when HR is struggling. You know, HR is always that, that you know, target for reductions and, and cost efficiencies. So, you know, I think that that lack of using data, and I understand it's a little easier in finance to use data, but I think, you know, there's so many sophisticated analyses techniques right now that help us get ahead of trends. That's really an area where I think HR needs to to kind of step it up. And they, we've been talking about it for years, and unfortunately, it's just been very slow to happen. The other thing that I think I learned early on as well is, you know, like, I used to dread a bunch of things like performance reviews and these forms that I'd have to fill out when an employee made a change. I've been in the industry a long, or I've been working for 25 years, but even well past when forms should have been paper on paper or written in triplicate, I was still having to do these things, right? And so it's like HR wasn't using, it wasn't thinking about how to optimize the employee experience, right? If I'm a manager and I have 10 direct reports, I'm filling out a performance review that adds zero value to the conversation that I need to have with my employees at the end of the year, right? I'm rating people on competencies that don't play into their day-to-day business. And at the end of the day, I'm telling people they meet expectations on these competencies, but that's not aligned to how we're running our business or, or how our, what our business results are. And so I think really just that relevancy of what are we doing why are we doing it? And how do we optimize this experience for our customers, which are the people and the, the employees and the managers to make sure that this is something they want to do, that they see the value in, that we don't have to force them to do, right? But that they, they just look at and they go, oh, this makes total sense. And this is going to facilitate a wonderful conversation with my employee about end of year performance. So like, I think those are some of the, the lessons that I learned early on that I apply to modern HR Uh, which really helps companies start to look at HR as more of a friend rather than an enemy. Hey, sorry to interrupt. It's Anthony here again. I just wanted to let you know if you're enjoying today's episode, I'd love it if you could give us a review and a comment to let us know where you're listening from. It means a lot to us. It helps us with the algorithm. It also helps us get into the hands of more people so that we can keep bringing great guests onto the show. So please do that. Also, if you or your team are planning a strategic planning offsite coming up, please reach out to us. We'd be happy to see if we're a fit to facilitate, to support you and your team getting on the same page and getting clear about where you want to go. So you can visit smestrategy.net or click the link in the description. We'd appreciate both of those things. Now get us back to the episode. Yeah, I get that. Well, a couple of things I took away from that. So one was, you know, the lack of data in HR. So, you know, all of our HR leaders listening and saying, I'm not an HR guy. My wife is an HR person, but, you know, tracking the data. And I find that in marketing, in sales, in typical revenue generating you have data that demonstrates your value. So why wouldn't you do that in the kind of downstream activities to say, Hey, like it's not feelings. It's, Hey, these are the numbers. Numbers don't lie. The other thing that I heard, which I would assert precipitated the evolution of HR was 
I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, software companies making it easier for HR practitioners and professionals to do more. So instead of having to do a paper form by triplicate, well, that's automated. HRIS systems, candidate systems, everything is automated. So instead of spending 30 hours doing forms, you can actually, as a people person, value deliverer, focus more on that experience. So driving more satisfaction, driving more relevance, and ultimately both of those things are outcome focused. So it was easier to deliver that baseline outcome of compliance. So now you can use your people people to drive more value for the business. Do you see it the same way? Yeah. And I think I'd add one more thing, right? Most of our employees are, I should say, all of our employees have mobile phones, right? They all have apps and they're used to these super intuitive experiences on their apps, right? When was the last time you sat through training to go through a mobile phone app? Ever? No, right? I mean, you just pick it up and you maybe there's a screen with some arrows that shows you what to do. That is what HR needs to do with its services and programs, right? And its systems. It needs to be that simple. So a lot of companies have HRIS systems but they haven't thought through the experience. How does the employee and the manager interact with that system? How difficult is it for the employee and manager to use? And like they'll set up one hour trainings to go through performance management systems, for example, or LMS systems, learning management systems. And they're all how to use the system, which is something that should be completely intuitive. And if it's not, then you've got a problem. What if people have no human systems? Like, where where do they start? Like, you know, they've built the business. They've gotten to a point where they're like 20 people. They don't have somebody. Like, what are the next steps somebody should take to modernize their people processes? Yeah, so typically if you're at 20 people, you probably have, you have to have some technology in today's world, right? Just payroll and benefits alone, unless you're, you're not, you know, doing benefits it would be pretty hard. But a lot of what the smaller companies do is they go to these professional employment organizations that where it's an outsourced payroll and benefits. These organizations are like co-employers so that like your W-2 actually comes from them. But they aggregate a bunch of small companies and they go to the insurance market and they're able to provide big company benefits for small companies at a reasonable price. They usually have some technology. It's not perfect, but it'll get you going. And then I think there's a number of, you know, low cost software. I, I want to like they're almost like little apps or plugins that you can put into different systems that really can automate the experience, can create a better user experience. There's a number of performance management systems which have been simplified. If you're looking for that, um, I would say continue to evaluate what's out there. But you know, you typically are going to start like if you have an HRIS, you have a PEO, you let that kind of go. Those those technologies aren't the best, but they get you through what you need to. Where you focus your technology experience are things that people are using more often. So things like performance management, learning management. There's a lot of real time engagement tools and and little applets or um, bots that you know can can get plugged into Slack. Right, those are the kinds of things that you want to look at, and you want to look at how you're organization is working today. So if you're a heavily dependent Slack organization, right, where everything is happening via Slack, I I know a lot of organizations like this, you want to make sure that whatever product you're putting out there has an integration into Slack. If it's another portal that you have to log into that you've got to, no one's going to use it, right? The way to get people to adapt to these systems, especially in fast paced, high growth organizations, is to integrate it into things they already are working with on a day to day basis. Mm -hmm. 
I think that's really, that's really smart. And I, and I want to say it's not intuitive, but I don't, if you don't think about it as a system to say, Hey, what systems does our organization already have? How can we integrate that? And how can we look at not only our, just our people strategy, cause that's, you know, a word and it needs something, but the overall, like, how do we support everybody in the organization to perform. I think when you look at it that way with the intention, I think it really shifts how you look at deploying software and deploying systems and getting people to actually use it instead of saying, Hey, yeah, we have this learning management system, but nobody uses it. Well, did you make it easy for them to actually use it? And then why did you want it? Did you want it to have it to check the box or did you want to have it because you want people to use it because it's going to train them so they can do their job better. And I think the context of what you do in your people role will have a huge impact to the the outcomes that you drive. That's right. That's right. So as we finish up here, what are two or three things that you want our leaders, whether they're in people directly or not to consider, to think about, to put in place and and dare I say, challenge them to take that next level to, to modernize their, their people experience. Yeah, I think the first thing I would say is they should ask themselves, do they have a partner that's going to challenge them on the people side, right? I mean, do they have somebody that's more of an order taker or somebody that's seeing the path forward, laying out what's going to happen and helping them think through that? Like your head of, of HR, your head of people and culture should be a coach to you and to the executive team, right? They should be the ultimate executive coach for the company, I also think if you're continuing to look for cost reductions across HR, then you probably aren't set up right. And you need to take a step back and ask yourself, you know, what is it I need to do? A lot of times the leaders are talking about HR the right way, but when they're going and interacting with their HR leader, they don't interact the same way that they would interact with their CFO or another leader. So they build up expectations that are not practical and HR doesn't do a good job of pushing back. And I'll give you an example. Often, Leaders come to me of, of smaller companies and they say, hey, we're, we're ready to hire a chief people officer. And I'm like, great. Okay, so you're ready to start building the function out. Oh, no, we're going to hire the chief people officer and they're going to be responsible for coaching us, doing the hands-on recruiting, running payroll and benefits. And I'm like, that's not a chief people officer, right? Like, you know, that if you want somebody to set strategy, they're not going to be the, the folks that, you know, do your payroll and benefits and your hands-on recruiting. So understanding that, you know, you don't need to hire 10 people at once, but you need to hire somebody and then empower them to bring in the right partners to help you keep the function running or get the function up and running. Just like you would if you were hiring a CFO, you would have somebody that outsources the accounting, but you'd bring in some more of the strategic roles over time. Cool. I, I mean, I think that's really, <laughs> it's smart. It's sometimes obvious, but really as you're making that next hire, making sure you understand who you're hiring, why you're hiring them as a capacity builder and the distinction between that like operational role to make sure the stuff gets done and the strategic role to make sure that you're increasing capacity. You need both, but you got to be aware of of what you're hiring and, and when you're hiring. And then the other thing, just really like building that capacity, like anything, people is a capacity. It's not just a function and and getting the most of your people, I think is going to be a super worthwhile investment as you, well, try to get to that next level, whatever that is. So Anissa, where can people get a hold of you? Where can they get your book? Where can they learn more about what you do at uh, Lab? 
Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn. My website is thelogelab, L-O-G-L-A-B.net. And my book is available on Amazon. It's The Comeback. And I think you got to put my name in there. Just so you guys know, it's a fictional HR book. It's a narrative that tells a story about a manufacturing company that is struggling from a third-party competitor, an external competitor coming in and challenging their business. And they have to shore up on all fronts. They do a good job from the sales, ops, all that stuff, but they, their people manager, their people leader is struggling. And so uh, the CEO brings in a coach to help her transition from more of that traditional HR mindset to a modern HR mindset. So it's her journey as a, as a company goes through modernizing their HR. That's awesome. I love that. And I think one of the things I'm taking away, Anissa, from today's conversation is really like someone in the right, the right person in the role is going to challenge you, which is what most senior leaders want, because it's going to help you get to that next level. And at times, like question what you think is right, but having that real lens of, hey, how we get the most ROI out of our investment in people, make sure that we have the right systems, processes, and structure to help us accomplish our goal uh, and find the right people to, to get that done. So uh, I really appreciate our conversation today. It gave me a, a different perspective on how to think of people uh, growth and uh, just appreciate the time today. Thanks, Anthony. I appreciate you having me. That was awesome. So everyone, our guest today, Anissa Deshpande, who is the founder of Logue Lab follow her online, share this podcast with, uh, if you're trying to get your boss to improve your, your people ops and your strategy in, in people, be sure to send them this podcast. Um, if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the podcast because we want to keep sharing with you and uh, getting amazing guests like Anissa. So my name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the strategy and leadership podcast. Thanks so much for joining and until next time. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Before you go, I wanted to make sure that you knew about our signature course that'll help you better align your team and get them bought into your strategic plan. It's presented really simply that whether you're a seasoned veteran or brand new to strategic planning, it'll help you better understand it, it'll help your team think more strategically, and it'll help you better prioritize and set goals. Ultimately, it's gonna give you a plan that you can execute successfully. Because you have no idea how many plans that I see that look good, but are missing key components to make them successful. And we cover all of those missteps in the course. On top of all the video training, you'll get access to all of our workbooks and access to our knowledge base and community. The course is only $4.95 and you can get instant access to all of the videos. Plus you can use the code podcast for $100 off. Course comes with a 100% money back guarantee. If you don't get value from the course, let us know and we'll give you all of your money back. So go to smestrategy.net slash course, use the code podcast for $100 off. And I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to support you and your team in getting alignment and moving your strategic plan forward. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time.